I took that one case study where I was director of marketing, put it in a nice cold email, cold emailed it out to, to a few people in the industry. And we ended up closing, it was around $600,000 in annual recurring revenue for our agency in about 30 days of just sending emails. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to bidfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Lead the Team. We've got a great one in store for you today with Alex Berman, who is the founder of X27, Taplio and Lead Shark. Now, Berman is a master at lead generation and author of The Cold Email Manifesto How to Fill Your Sales Pipeline, Convert Like Crazy, and Level Up Your Business in 90 Days or Less. It's, over, it's available over on Amazon. And currently, I believe it is still ranked as number one in the business writing category. I mean, man, can't we all level up in this area? He also creates weekly videos to help agency owners grow their businesses and bring in more revenue by teaching them how to optimize B2B sales cycle and put inbound marketing strategies in place. Alex, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, y'all, we got on here and I'm like talking to Alex. I'm like, Alex, where are you calling in from today? And he's like, I am calling from India. Alex, what are you doing in India? Uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Delhi. Uh, I'm here because I was talking to one of my team members and he was originally making about a thousand bucks. And I was like, okay, I'm paying this guy, you know, not enough, et cetera, et cetera. Then I came out to India for like a couple days and I realized the thousand dollar salary was enough to support him, his wife, uh, his baby, his two sisters, his dad, his mom, his grandma, all in one house. So first of all, I give him a raise. Hmm. But second of all, I realized that even a small salary, and in our minds as Americans, even a small salary is enough to support you know, an entire family out in India. So I, I decided to learn as much as I can about hiring as many Indians as I can now. So we've, we've been building up the team. I've been here on the ground, and I even started a course for Indian freelancers uh, on how to make more money. So I've been, I've been all in trying to learn Hindi. <laughs> um, wow. I've been on it, all in on India since then. So is this your first trip to India, or have you been before? This is my second trip Your second. Okay. in this year. So the first time I was here, I was here for about five months. And then the second time, uh, it's been about three months so far. So eight months total. Holy um, smokes. So you, you were in the U.S. before that? Yeah, I was in uh, Las Vegas for in Vegas. Okay. a couple of years before that. And then, yeah, basically digital nomading. I've been a nomad for about seven years. Just a different Okay, city. all right. So you've been perfecting the art of being a digital nomad. And then you just took it to the next level with, hey, I'm going to go live in another country. And there's no problem, I guess, living in another country five to eight months just from you, you still have your U.S. residency. You're in India. You just go back home when you're ready to go. Yeah. And I haven't yeah. really felt the need. I mean, may, maybe I haven't done the research. Hopefully there's no problem. <laughs> I haven't been back in the U.S. in almost a year. Probably, I probably haven't been to the U.S. in, in 11 months. I might go back. Um, my Indian visa is for a year. 
and I was just in the UK. Like, I don't, I honestly don't know legally how it works. I'm, I'm well, we're going to find out. The, we'll have you back on yeah, if you're trapped will. or something. We will find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's so cool for the listeners to think about because we do like to have leaders on here and founders who kind of challenge the notions of what's possible. And so my sense is, is that hey, you had an interest in India. You saw an opportunity. You, know, you heard the story from your friend. And you're like, you know what? I'm not just going to go. I'm just not going to read about it. I'm not just going to interview and ask people about it. I'm actually going to go live there and f- discover it for myself. And since then, I guess, I mean, what what would you say has been the biggest sort of uh, eye-opening moment for you since you've uh, been there in India for these eight months? Most eye-opening moment was when I got here and I realized that almost everybody has smartphones. They all have laptops. There's LTE, you know, internet everywhere. Um, almost everywhere has like 100 megabytes down internet connections. Hmm. Uh, so while on the surface, it looks like India is like, you know, third world. It's not. Uh, hmm. Everyone is on their on their phones like they're they got the same internet as us. It's open. Uh, everything's great out here. So that was that was the biggest thing uh, mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. And then the second biggest thing was um, how willing to work everybody is. Um, I thought that. Uh, I, I think I made the same mistake as most Americans, which is uh, we I, I used to think of India as like lower quality work, you know, maybe uh, slight, like people that weren't on the same page as Americans. But what I realized was they're willing to learn, uh, they're willing to work hard um, and they can do a lot more uh, with less. So by learning the mm. Indian culture a little bit, by working with them a little bit, um, you can actually get the same or higher quality work out of Indian freelancers as you can out of Americans. Uh so that that was my main thing. Like, go go wow. into this with patience, and you can get a lot out of it. So cool. And so, what is the key, or or maybe you don't, you know? Well, I guess what advice do you have for people who are going into any foreign culture and to to be accepted, right? So you could probably be, you know, go to India and just expat it up and just stay with sort of all the expats, but. You know, there you are, and it really a bell went off my mind when you said, "You know what? I'm not only here working on my business. I, I, I'm creating a business for the people here in India." So, what you know, what's the key to sort of getting in the inner circle there and, and, and being accepted by the locals? I think it's just about caring. You know, I don't know. It mm-hmm. sounds weird. It's like see them as people. You know, like Divs, one of my guys wants to be a freelance videographer, so I'm helping him get like freelance clients. Uh, one of my other guys wants to start a headphone company. So I'm like, all right, helping him source things in, in China, you know, get cheap headphones. Like, I don't know, talk to them, <laughs> see what they're into and awesome. uh, take them to laser tag or something. You know? Okay. Build those relationships like you would anywhere yeah. else. But I sense <laughs> that you're also, uh, one of the things I'm making a note for the listeners too, and myself is the fact that you're there to help. It's one thing to do laser tag. That's fun, but you're also helping them start their own businesses and they see you as someone who's there to serve and build those relationships on that. And man, that's how you build trust in an accelerated fashion. Now let's fast forward this a little bit because I want to make sure we hit the cold email manifesto. Such a cool title. Now that to me seems like cold emails should not work, right? Because it's cold. You have no relationship. And so I've got a couple of things on, on here. Uh, number one, um, how did you generate $100 million in leads with cold email? It's, it's straightforward. So we have an offer. 
so 100 million in leads is for our clients. So the main thing that we work on uh, is we work with a lot of digital agencies. So companies that do web design, web development, uh, and then marketing services, you know, SEO, copywriting, mm-hmm. things like that. So if your deal size is 50,000 bucks, you go out there, you make a list of, uh, I call them golden geese companies. So companies over 200 employees, uh, but under maybe 10,000 employees. So they're quick to make decisions. They're not super enterprise. Make a list of those, reach out to those. A yep. certain number get back, you book meetings, and that's kind of how you generate, you know, 100 million at least, like one by one, uh, 50,000 at a time, 100,000 at a time. So how do you define a cold email? Cold email is a message sent to somebody that doesn't know you pitching your product or service. Uh, typically, it works best with B2B. So if you're selling to other businesses, mm-hmm. and if you're selling something that's over $2,000, uh, in order value, then you can get value from cold email. It doesn't really work that much for uh, cheaper products. Like if you're selling something $9 a month, probably won't work that much. Uh, but if you can put in a little bit more time uh, and a little bit more energy up front, then you can book some meetings and, and you can knock it out. So what is the difference between cold email and spam? Okay. Spam is, so they're they're very similar on the surface, right? When you think about spam, you think of those messages from like Nigerian princes or untargeted, uh, untargeted cold email. So the, the mm-hmm. difference between cold email and spam is a cold email uh, sent in our style is something that is personalized. It seems like it's written just to you and it pitches a relevant service uh, to somebody. So for instance, if I was to send you a cold email, right, your podcast host. So I might talk about, you know, something to do with maybe editing podcasts, maybe video editing services for mm-hmm. YouTube. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. something you're doing LinkedIn stuff. So I could maybe sell Taplio, the LinkedIn AI, right? Like if it's a relevant offer to you, then it's going to be a lot less cold. The way that I think about it is um, on, on Facebook ads, right? Nobody says your Facebook ads are spamming. If you get an ad for like, you know, the CRM system that you really want to buy. Uh, and I think of cold email the same way, as long as an ad would run for that, you know, if, if the targeting's right and everything, like yeah. if you'd be interested in the service already, then the email's fine to send. Otherwise, it's spam. If I'm sending irrelevant, unpersonalized emails to millions of people, then I'm spamming. And that can't be applauded. That shouldn't be rewarded at all. So to me, I'm thinking about the word that comes to mind as research. You got to understand the person you're sending it to. What do they want? And make sure you're making it relevant. Otherwise, yeah, you're in the spam category. And for business leaders out there, a lot of them probably don't feel comfortable in this domain, for, you know, for themselves. And I think this is a really good, really good, a really a leadership skill for them to begin to think about, because they're not just thinking about how they can attract customers and get in that conversation, but also employees, employees who may be getting hit with multiple uh, requests to interview for different jobs right now, or in this great resignation period. And so how can they make it more relevant. So what is, what do you think's the key to writing a great email? You already said it was personalized. Anything else you said is relevant, right? Mm-hmm. Personalized and relevant. What else am I missing there? You got to have an offer on your, in your first cold email or is that yeah, not so always we, we part can, of it? Yeah, we can walk through that. It's interesting how you go through um, the recruiting example. And one of the, the things you just said was they're getting offers from all different directions. What are those offers? Those are other recruiters sending cold emails and cold LinkedIn messages to the ideal candidates. So mm-hmm. they're already getting the messages. 
So by not sending them, you're you're not competing. Um, a good cold email. Nice. Uh, so normally I'll start with a target, an offer, and a case study. So target is who is the type of person that I want to reach? Is it CEOs of companies over 200 employees? Is it the director of marketing at a consumer packaged goods company in the United States? You know, like what, what is it? Is it podcast hosts with over 10,000 followers on LinkedIn? What's the actual targeting? Then the second thing is the offer. So the offer is basically, what am I selling? Is it video editing services? Is it uh, writing a landing page for them? Is it building their funnel? What's the offer? And then the third thing is the case study, which is basically an example of the offer in practice. So if I'm going out to podcast hosts and I'm pitching LinkedIn content, then the case study would be an example of how I used LinkedIn content to grow a podcast by you know 10,000 listeners in 30 days. That's a case study. And then once you have those three things, uh, then you can write a cold email that's not going to come off as spam. Uh, the cold email that I like to write follows what we call the three C's, which is compliment, case study, call to action. So, mm. hey, Ben, huge fan of the podcast. Love the episode you did with you know XYZ person. Uh, I specialize in audio editing and, uh, sorry, mm -hmm. I specialize in audio editing for podcasts. Uh, I, I already edited, uh, sorry, one more time. Um, I specialize in audio editing for podcasts. I just did XYZ podcast for this mm -hmm. person. And, you know, we've already done three episodes in the last two weeks and they love it. Would love to do the same for you. Let me know. Uh, and I can send over an edit of an example episode. I love that. And I think that one of the things that gets missed there probably by a lot of leaders is what are your case studies when you're reaching out to people? And I think about it from a selling standpoint, certainly. And like, you know, a part of our business too is doing a lot, a lot of uh, leadership training, and I think I left that out a lot. Like I assumed that they had seen what we've done on LinkedIn and the recommendations. They weren't really including that in the email communication. And so by including, you know, snapshots of, of, of LinkedIn endorsements and things like that and talking about the retention rates and the results, it really, it, it's really, I've noticed a big improvement there. And I think even if you're hiring people, Talk about the employees you've hired and say, and yeah, last week, three of them got promoted. I mean, that just to really have, add that credibility element, I think can really, really set you apart. Uh, one of the, one of the questions I've got for you, and I'd be curious in the feedback, your, so your email, is, your, your book is called the cold email manifesto. What about, is, is the sequel going to be related to the cold text manifesto or how does texting fit into this world of a uh, cold email? Sure. So texting would fit into what's called omni-channel outreach. So omni-channel outreach is where you combine multiple cold tactics together. So typically what we'll do if we're really doing a full omni-channel campaign is we'll do email, then we'll do text messaging, voicemail drops, LinkedIn posts. We could even go in there and like their tweets. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of different things that we can do. We could like their LinkedIn posts, engage with social media, uh, mm -hmm. send send uh, letters, even handwritten notes. Um, what what we've done for some clients too is send little Amazon gifts to them. Um, so Oof. you just wow. if you think about yeah no and it and it works when when we talk about the value of a client, then it, anything that you do to reach them works, whether it's text message whatever, because you really want to get them uh, on on your side. Um, 
I normally wouldn't do a text message um, or any other campaign unless I really wanted to reach that person. That's the thing, right? So if mm-hmm. you're not willing to text them, uh, then you really don't want the deal. <laughs> and so we we do everything possible to to get through to them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I like that, and I do think that for me being a Generation X, I was slow on the texting front. I I think. I mean, I. I was really, really relying on email for the longest period. I think a lot of senior leaders still rely on email. And I think email from a cold perspective is probably the way to go because it's a more structured way and people are more open to clicking and looking. And uh, But I think after you have that initial touch, texting can be so, so effective because people don't always check their email anymore or they're constantly prior, you know, reprioritizing it. Do you normally find the texting sort of be like a second touch or do you think that's more of like a first touch approach sometimes that that's effective? So it all comes down to who the customer is and where they are, because Mm. when it's um, when when you think about what you do on your daily basis, right? Most people wake up in the morning and the first thing they do at work is either check their LinkedIn feed or they check their email or sometimes like some people check their tweets. So you really want to be on one of those three channels. Um, text message also works as a secondary channel. Voicemail also works, but the, the bread and butter of this is it's cold email and maybe LinkedIn outreach. Those are the two most okay. effective. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, let's, you mentioned LinkedIn a couple of times. So let's talk about this. Uh, what are the big mistakes that you're seeing people making right now today on LinkedIn? First mistake is not knowing what you sell and making no promise with your profile. So if you're wondering why nobody's accepting your connection requests or nobody's following you back on LinkedIn, uh, most of the time it's because nobody knows who you are and they don't know who you are because you're not telling them. Hmm. If you look at my LinkedIn profile right now, I think it says like president of Taplio, ask me about AI and then some other stuff. Uh, My co-founder, Robert, who runs our web development agency, he, I think his is just like, you know, web development master, ask me about new projects. So you really want to make a promise with, with your profile. Um, when you're doing cold LinkedIn outreach, one of the first things you have to do is connect with the prospects and get them to accept your connection request. Mm-hmm. And if your profile picture doesn't look like someone they want to connect with, then they're not going to accept. If your name doesn't look like something that they would connect with, they're not going to accept. Uh, and if your banner doesn't seem valuable to them, or it seems like you're going to pitch them as soon as they accept it, then they're not going to accept that request. So that's the number one mistake. Mm. You go to their profile and you, and they don't seem like somebody worth accepting. And so yeah. you're not going to accept them. And it doesn't matter if they are worth accepting or not. All that matters is what people think in the first three seconds after looking at your profile picture. Yeah. I think that's a good point there. People need to think about like, like that three second rule. You may have be have you know be the best person for them to connect with on the planet, but if they can't tell that in three seconds, they'll probably just decline it, or they'll accept it and not remember a thing about it. Maybe they just accept everybody's. So yeah, yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, that's um, another big point. mistake. So on the outreach side for LinkedIn mm-hmm. is um, one big mistake is as soon as you accept the invite, a lot of people will pitch immediately. So like. So you won't want to accept some people because you know as soon as you hit that accept button, a message is going to pop get up. That trying ding, to sell and there, yeah, like they yeah. automatically sent you a two pair or three paragraph message that they cut and pasted or like an AI deal that doesn't even resonate. Yeah. 
So what I like to do instead is I'll send the blank connection request. So just the default connection request, they accept based on the profile picture, the name and the headline. Uh, I seem like someone worth connecting with. Then three days later, I'll send them a message. The LinkedIn message I like to send doesn't even have a link. It's just like, um, you know, hey, huge fan of the content you've been posting on LinkedIn. And then they either respond to that or not. Then the next day, I'll say uh, something about Taplio. I'm like, uh, so the three days, I'll be like, hey, huge fan of the content you're posting on LinkedIn. Uh, then one day later, I'll be like, uh, have you ever thought about using AI uh, to write your content? I run Taplio, which helps you write ten, uh, one month of LinkedIn content in 10 minutes. Would love to show it if you have a couple minutes. And that's it. Just very soft, no link, no nothing. Uh, because I know if they're interested, they're going to Google it and they're going to, to go for it. Um, a lot of the sales that I like to do takes place inside people's minds. I, I'm a very big fan of forcing people to go to Google and just be like, oh, Taplio, what is that? And type in Taplio or look at the profile and find the link mm. and, and dig for it a little bit, um, which so is counter to what a lot of people do. So you're, that's interesting. So a lot of the sort of the sales techniques that that I hear a lot is, hey, make it so easy for them, mm-hmm. right? Making it easy for them would be putting the Taplio link in that second message because they could just click on it. But you, it sounds like you're trying to trigger curiosity and maybe in a world where they're getting hit with links all the time, it might, it's kind of counterintuitive uh, credibility building. You're it's like, a similar wanna, reason why, okay. what is it? Oh, it's a similar reason why we have a case study in the email, right? Your work, should stand on itself. So when I say hmm. you can create a month of LinkedIn content in 10 minutes, that should be, if I'm doing my job right, that's interesting enough for them to Google Taplio. If it's not, then the offer needs work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you're testing it real world right there. I mean, are they going to go or not? It also, I think, puts a, it, it, it makes me, maybe in the world of LinkedIn, it builds more trust because they're like, look, I'm not going to send you the link. You're getting hit with links all the time. But this is what we do. If you're really interested, you know, take a look at it. And, uh, you know, we got introduced. You didn't send me a link about Taplio, but I saw it and I went to it. And man, I was curious because that's a lot of content that you're promising that can be done that quickly and effectively. And uh, I guess when you inject the AI component of it, it just makes it a lot more customized, right? Versus some kind of like just posting or is it, is it posting articles or is it posting sort of more thought leadership from a Taplio standpoint? It's thought leadership. So what we do is we have a database of tens of thousands of LinkedIn posts on a bunch of different topics. And we have, I think, millions of top tweets on uh, like a bunch of different topics as well. And so we have that in our database as our machine learning. Then you, when you create a Taplio account, fill out a questionnaire like I am a salesman that talks about lead generation, like whatever you, you fill that in, uh, fill out your keywords, and then the AI will take both of those data points and create original content for you. It'll write everything from single line zingers to multi-paragraph full LinkedIn posts. Holy smokes, man. Yeah. Yeah, that that is incredible. And it's so great for people too, no matter if you've been writing LinkedIn posts for years, it can give you a fresh perspective, inspiration, or if you're a leader right there and you're like, you know what? I don't really know what I'm doing on LinkedIn, but I know enough to know I need to know more. And this is important. It sounds like a great kickstart mechanism 
to get yeah, them the out main, there doing that? The main value we found is within corporations. So all directors of sales or even heads of HR or CEOs want their team to be on LinkedIn, right? The CEO would love their entire leadership team to be on LinkedIn. But deep down, they also don't want their CFO to be spending four hours a day writing the perfect viral LinkedIn post. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the AI is the perfect middle ground because now the CEO can give that to the CFO. The CFO can spend 10 minutes a month writing a month of LinkedIn posts. Now he's a thought leader. He's getting all those brand mentions, et cetera, but he's not having to waste all of that time that he would spend being a full-time influencer. Because you know, as a full-time content creator, how much time this takes to do right. Yes. Yes. So the AI is is that nice middle ground. How do we get those brand dimensions up, right? Imagine everybody in your team was able to talk about your brand once a day, how much that would transform your business. And you know that everyone wants everybody to be posting on LinkedIn. But imagine being able to do that without spending any time on it. That's what Taplio is. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So what is the future of LinkedIn? According to Alex, I think we're going to see, okay, future of LinkedIn. I know right now LinkedIn has a bad reputation as being kind of robotic, kind of spammy. Um, a lot of these posts that are just motivational posts, things like that. Um, I have just come from the world of Twitter, right? We've got almost 50,000 followers over there. I was very deep uh, into the Twitter world. And what I can tell you is Twitter uh, for business is not like LinkedIn at all. It's very loose. People are making edgy jokes. There's memes that would offend most people. Uh, (laughs) And yet these businesses that are posting like that are shooting up in virality. Mm. They're getting a lot of likes. They're getting a lot of comments. And what I've seen now is those kind of posts are sneaking in to LinkedIn slowly. So what we will see in the next six to eight months is a, a, what do you call that? Like a loosening of the, the grip that formality has had on LinkedIn. So people are going to be joking around a lot more. You're going to see a lot more edgy stuff um, in the next two years, things you you never would expect from your colleagues. Um, Things that normally would be like on their personal Facebook pages are going to sneak onto LinkedIn. Um, And people are going to see massive results from it. Mm. Um, Mm. There are a lot of brands that aren't on LinkedIn um, that are just killing it on Twitter with with things you wouldn't imagine. Like uh, there's a new outreach tool called Instantly. And their three founders are just making these like absurd jokes, like mocking uh, people that don't know how to write cold emails, like just like terrible, terrible things. Um, but it, it works because it's within niche. And so that's what we're going to see more of on LinkedIn. So get ready, you know, and, and if you've been holding back, uh, also get ready because you're going to be you're going to be free now to express your true opinions wow. without it destroying your life. <laughs> that will make LinkedIn even more fun. It will also, you know, breed more controversy, which drives more virality, obviously, and makes it more in a, in a more exciting playground to be in. Because I definitely agree, it is a little stiff, and uh, but it's becoming less stiff by by the moment. And so, yeah, it sounds like a great. Just, I mean, just more reasons to get involved and stay tuned and, and follow 
uh, where things are going here. Now, this has been such a fantastic call and I have not gotten all my questions, uh, but I don't want to get out of here without finding a little bit out about your story. And I usually put this at the beginning, but I was so into the cold email and understanding India and your perspectives on LinkedIn. We kind of skipped over that. So how and why to go from entrepreneur, well, let's say maybe corporate to entrepreneur to business owner on that journey. What's your journey been like? And what what's maybe a lesson or two that others need to be keeping in mind for themselves if they see that as a path for them? Sure. So the last job I had, uh, I started as I was a junior salesperson at a digital agency in New York City. Uh, that's the most corporate I've ever been. I guess we were working with a lot of corporations. You know, we had Tyson as clients and Hearst and, uh, you know, that we're doing Power Rangers and uh, all these, all these awesome. companies uh, were coming in. Uh, and I was just a junior sales guy, like taking meetings for the other salespeople, taking notes, et cetera. And what I realized was I knew I didn't want to be a, a junior sales guy. And I knew I didn't want to be doing this for very long. Um, and so I went into a meeting with my boss at the time. Uh, and he asked me what my goal would be for the next six months. And one of my goals was manage a team of interns. And I remember him looking at that goal and he just started laughing. He's like, manage a team of interns. I don't think you're ready uh, to manage anyone right now. And he was just like laughing. I remember that. And so at that point, I made it my goal to have a team as soon as, as, soon as I possibly could. Uh, so I just started hustling. I realized the closer you get to the money, the faster you're going to get promoted. So instead of just hmm. taking the leads as they came, like the average salesperson at the company would have maybe two meetings a day, uh, just from inbound leads, maybe one meeting a day, writing the proposals. Uh, I started posting on social media for our company. I started making YouTube videos, answering Quora questions, uh, doing everything that needed to be done, writing articles. And I started generating leads. Uh, we went from, it was like 40 leads a day up to, or sorry, 40 leads a month, which in our industry is big because these are big companies from 40 leads a month up to 150 leads a month. Uh, and then the leads started pouring in. Then the second thing I found out was these sales guys are actually kind of lazy and kind of disengaged um, and open to help. So what I found out is these guys didn't want to write proposals. But for mm -hmm. me, I didn't mind writing proposals. So I started partnering with all the other sales guys on their deal, pounding out the proposals in about 30 minutes before the work even started. And uh, I was able to book myself solid, have more proposals than everyone else, and just help everybody with the deals. So in my first year as a salesperson at this agency, Senior sales guy, I ended up selling more than the senior guys on the team and more than the owners who were full-time salespeople and more than my boss who wouldn't let me manage the team of interns. Um, I was called leading from the middle and leading yeah. up and leading all around, <laughs> having nobody all report around. to you, but driving all this activity. That's cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did, um, the, the CEO said I was responsible for 16% of the company's entire revenue, uh, which was unheard of from one sales guy at the time. Hey boss, need a raise. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I did. So I did get a raise. Um, they made me the director of marketing after a year uh, of leading this team. And I was still like uh -huh. 20 something. Um, so director of marketing. Uh, and then I was doing that for a little while. And then I realized the leads that I was generating for this agency were so valuable that maybe I could do this for other agencies. And so that's when we spun up X27. And the specialty of X27 is lead generation for digital agencies. So basically, companies like what I was working on, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we do the same thing. So if you're a digital agency in Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, we'll spin up the cold email campaigns, the SEO. Uh, we'll answer core questions. We'll do podcast interviews on your behalf, whatever it takes uh, to drive your leads up. So I took that one case study where I was director of marketing, put it in a nice cold email, cold emailed it out to, to a few people in the industry. And we ended up closing, it was around $600,000 in annual recurring revenue for our agency in about 30 days. <laughs> just sending emails. Wow. They were and, taking and, you out for a few drinks after that, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. So it was, it was really fun. And, and the coolest part about that was I documented that send. So the, I made a YouTube video of me sending out that cold email. And in the YouTube video, you basically watch me make over $10,000 just live. Like, hey, here's a list. I'm going to send the emails. What? I'm going to go back and book the meetings. And that video went semi-viral in the space. I think now it's sitting at 150,000 views, which is insane for a video that's like nerdy about cold emails. And that just kind of, yeah, kickstarted the the whole thing. And and now we are where we are. I guess I wrote a book on it. And yeah, now we're here wow. on this podcast. So that, one of, there, there are a lot of nuggets in there, but one of the ones that leaps out at me, Alex, is you had the foresight to document it. It doesn't have to be super fancy documentation, super edited and refined. It can be just sort of brass tacks. Hey, this is what I'm doing. And man, people love that and they appreciate that. And uh, they recognize uh, they recognize when it's real. It's uh, sugar, salt, and fat, right? What makes McDonald's good? It's not that it's the greatest hamburger in the world. It's that it's got basically drugs in it. It's got massive, massive amounts of sugar, salt, and fat. (laughs) <laughs> and high quality, valuable entrepreneurial advice is the sugar, salt, and fat of the world. So if I tell you something that really works and that made me money, and you can do the same thing and you can make money, it doesn't matter if the audio quality is bad, if the lighting's off, it doesn't matter if the presentation's bad, it delivered value. And so it'll shoot straight to the top. Alex, wow. Let's, man, that's a great one to, to wind this up on. But before we go, I'm thinking you may have something else you want to drop on the listeners. I don't know what it, what it is, but if you got a parting thought for the listeners, but let's recap for everybody. So y'all, we hit Alex's time in India, what he's doing over there, how he has created opportunities for himself, himself over there. I mean, d- digital nomad life. We uh, got into a whole playbook y'all of around cold email. If you're not familiar with this, or you're not satisfied with your results, go listen to this part of the interview, check out his book. Then we got into LinkedIn and then the future of LinkedIn. And then we got into basically the McDonald's version of, of how you make your content so darn valuable. Oh, we also hit Taplio's artificial intelligence. I mean, as you can see, Alex has got his hands in so many different pots uh, of adding value for people. But for Alex, you know, for you today, uh, how do you want to cap this thing off? Uh, okay. Everything comes down to distribution, right? Um, just create an offer and pitch it to more people, whether it's cold email, whether it's LinkedIn, however it is, um, show your thing to more people. If you want to make more sales. All right, y'all go get them and let us know how it goes. Thanks, Alex. And and by the way, check out the show notes. We'll have links to, I mean, I think we have enough show notes space to put all the many links for what we talked about today in Alex's companies. But uh, we'll squeeze in everything. So uh, go check it out. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, 
Do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.